Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. I want to do this morning is say welcome to my dad. He's 92 years old, and every evening before I speak, I go to my email, and there's a message from him every single time. He encourages me, he holds space for me, he reminds me that what I do is anointed and that I'm called of God. And I just want to honor him and thank him for that. The title this morning is Holding Space for the Other. And the passage that I'm going to be unpacking is Galatians chapter 6. Yukon Kanto is a worldwide event with competitions held across the globe. On the list of the 10 strangest sports in the world, this one is ranked as number three. The colloquial name is wife carrying, although the term is used quite loosely due to the need for inclusion in our current culture. But generally, it involves a male participant carrying a female teammate through a 250-meter obstacle course with challenges along the way. There are water hazards, there are hurdles, and many of the courses have a mud section that is about a meter deep. Now, the actual history of the sport remains uncertain, but it seems to have an unsavory origin. Apparently, in the 1800s, there was a thief called Roscoe Rakanen, and he used to lead a gang of men to raid the villages, and they would steal goods and women and hurl them over their shoulders as they ran away. But in spite of this dark start to the sport, the sport has become very popular and even has a world championship that is held in a small Finnish town with a name that I can't pronounce. The winners winners receive the weight of the female participant in beer. (laughs) They also receive five times her weight in cash, which makes choosing a female partner a little bit tricky. Now, if you're wondering how the sport actually works, or if you're looking to start up something new in your life, there are three ways to carry your participant. The first way is the piggyback style. You can see these guys are not going to win anything. The next one is what is called the fireman carry, a little bit more successful in the race. And the last one, this was new to me, is called the Estonian style. Now, believe it or not, this is the most popular style. And here is a photo of the world champs making the sport look a lot easier than it actually is. Let's go back. 
Believe it or not, Wife Caring has received international recognition. It tests the physical ability and the agility of both the participants. It emphasizes and requires camaraderie between the carrier and the carried. Now, after scouring the internet to find something vaguely appropriate for Sunday morning about the sport, Jadine has kindly edited the following video. However, the following video may contain content <laughs> that is somewhat traumatizing. So if you are not a bloops and blunders watcher, please close your eyes for the following video. If you can stomach some challenging things, please watch it while remembering the title this morning, Holding Space for the Other, which is not easy at all. Not in the sport of wife carrying or in real life, because to carry someone well, to hold them up, to hold the space for them that is necessary in the journey of life, so that they are not bumped, dumped, damaged, or left behind in the journey, requires great skill of the carrier and incredible vulnerability of the carried, especially when we face obstacles of many kinds. If you guys can play the video, please. I thought perhaps we could add that to the next family day. <laughs> I'm keen for anybody to take Robin and I on. <laughs> I think I'm carrying you, babe. <laughs> so the last time I spoke here at Harvest, I spoke on the subject of vulnerability. And I shared with you what I call my ledge experience, and the difficulties that I went through at a time when I was 26 years old. And I also explained that Brené Brown, in her brilliant wisdom, has made vulnerability a household word. But actually, the concept has been around for hundreds of generations as we see it embedded through Scripture. We see it in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where it says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. It's gonna require vulnerability for you to make your weakness known so that God can work his power in your life. James 5.16 says, confessing our sins to one another is something that is healthy and helpful. Confession requires a great degree of vulnerability because exposing our warts to people is not always fun. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 talks about bearing each other's burdens. And sharing our burdens requires a great deal of vulnerability. And this morning I'm going to be speaking on part two of vulnerability. 
because I realized after that talk that vulnerability takes two people. On the one hand, you've got the person who bravely displays their vulnerability and courageously takes a risk by showing their warts to somebody else when they express a need for help. But on the other side, you have someone that needs to be able to hold space for that vulnerability. As a skilled, active, and compassionate listener. You see, it's no use asking the question, how are you really? Without being well prepared for an answer that comes. So I'm gonna start this morning with what holding space is actually before we go to Galatians chapter six, which is probably the greatest passage confirming that this concept in psychology is a real truth. Holding space is the practice of compassionately witnessing. That means being with someone in the moment staying in the moment with them, alongside them, even in the pits of the darkness, accepting that person, supporting someone without judgment, while retaining your boundaries and your sense of self. Susan Johnson writes these beautiful words which encapsulates this concept more beautifully than I've ever seen. From the cradle to the grave, she says, humans desire a certain someone who will look out for them, notice them and value them, soothe their wounds and reassure them in life's difficult places and hold them in the dark. But holding space for somebody is not just about holding space for people's dark places. You see, not all our lives consist of darkness. We need people that can grieve with us and we need people that can celebrate with us. Rick Warren, who's a phenomenal author, he led a big church called Saddleback and he experienced some incredibly celebratory things in his life and some dark moments as well. He wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, and at the same time that book was receiving notoriety, his wife Kay was diagnosed with cancer. He also lost his son to suicide. And he wrote these incredible words that shows us that life is full of dark, difficult things and also full of things that are beautiful and worth celebrating. He says, I used to think that life was hills and valleys. You go through a dark time, and then you go to the mountaintop and back and forth. I don't believe that anymore. Rather than life being hills and valleys, I believe that it is kind of like two rails on a railroad track. And at times you have something good and something bad in your life. No matter how good things are in your life, there is always something bad that needs to be worked on. And no matter how bad things are in your life, there is always something good that you can thank God for. Even sharing the good things in our lives requires a fair amount of vulnerability because it opens ourselves up to the possibility of judgment, even envy, or an opinion that might be different from ours. 
So holding space for the other is about learning to hold space for whatever the other is going through, even when the other has different struggles, different celebrations, different sin, different victories, different challenges than yours, especially when you can't understand exactly what they are about and you can't even identify with them. Our world is going through a mental health crisis. The statistics support that. And the problem with statistics is every statistic represents a real human being. People need help. They need help. We need to learn how to hold space for people so that we can carry them through so that no one does this journey alone. Now, we've got two choices when people share with us. We can be space holders or we can be space hijackers. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you felt like you got hijacked in that moment? Let me show you the difference between the two. When we hold space, we liberate. We give someone the freedom to be who they are, to make sovereign choices to control their outcome. When we hold space, we leave the person feeling empowered and supported. When we hijack space, we violate. We take away a person's freedom. We limit their ability to make choices. We take control of the outcome. When we hijack space, we leave a person feeling disenfranchised and weakened. I've summarized the material on this, and this is my idea of space holders and space hijackers. Space holders listen. Hijackers give unsolicited advice. Space holders are attentive. Hijackers are distractive. You can see the eyes darting while you're explaining something important. Space holders validate. Hijackers minimize and downplay your experience. Space holders ask for more information. Tell me more, a space holder will say. Hijackers give their opinions. Space holders are curious, and hijackers will generally make assumptions. If you want to learn more about this brilliant concept, there's a book by Heather Plett called The Art of Space Holding. But I actually believe with all these tools available to us in psychology, there is nothing like scripture to speak about truth and give us real tools. And there are lots of passages that I could have used this morning, but the passage that has been on my heart for decades on this subject is Galatians chapter 6. So I'm very excited to bring it to you this morning. There are some beautiful nuggets in this passage. The first one is, that holding space requires holding back. The second one is that if you wanna hold space for the other, you are going to have to learn what humility looks like and feels like. And the third one is that if you want to be a long distance space holder, we're in this, this is not a sprint, guys. We're in a marathon of life for people. And if we wanna do the marathon, we have to know where we start, where we end, and where others begin. So let's have a look at the passage, Galatians chapter six. Brothers and sisters, now the first thing to note here, Paul is writing this passage to Christians. This is not advice for you to deal with your neighbor who does not believe the same thing that you do. 
okay? This is within the church. He's writing to Christians. So, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore. I just want to hang out there for a little bit. The word caught here in the original language means that you fall into it by mistake, It's a fascinating term. It's not somebody who's decided to intentionally engage in a sinful behavior or a sinful lifestyle. This is the person that wakes up in the morning and goes, oh my hat, how did I get here? It's a mistake. I sense this morning during worship that there are people here this morning that have been caught in sin. You never intended to go there. But you woke up this morning and you thought, oh gosh, why am I doing this? How did I fall into this? And here's some good news here, because look at what the scripture says. You who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently. I love the word restore. Restore means back to its original condition. You see, that's the beautiful thing about sin. Sin has been restored to its original condition by the death of Christ. And so while we don't focus on the sin, we focus on the life giver who died for you so that you could experience full restoration. And I'm asking you this morning that if that's you, I'm asking you to come forward after the service to have somebody pray for you, to help you gently be restored because that's God's plan for you today. Restore the person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. I love that humor. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Everyone should test their own actions. Notice here it doesn't say everyone should test their husbands, their wives, their children's, their neighbors' actions. Everyone should test their own actions. This is the beautiful concept of what it means to stay in your lane. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. I love the way the Message Bible puts it. It sums it up so beautifully. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin... Again, the idea of falling, it's by mistake. Forgivingly restore them. Saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach down to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. But don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. So there are two tools from the scripture that stand out to me so that we do not dump, bump, or abandon anyone in the journey of life like our mud carriers. The first one is that holding space requires holding back three things. If you want to hold space for somebody well, you need to learn to hold back harshness, you need to learn to hold back criticism, 
and you need to learn to hold back comparison. Harshness is an interesting word here. Paul uses the term gentleness. I love the word gentleness in the scripture. It's a fruit of the spirit, so we should be leaking that stuff all over the place. Gentleness means power constrained. You see, when somebody has fallen into sin, it's very easy to show up harshly. How on earth can you do that? What do you think you are doing? How did that happen to you? Harshness is easy, but Paul uses the word gentleness, power constrained, and that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. Instead of going in hard and strong and loud, we go in gently because that's the way Jesus works with us. He also says that we should hold back criticism. Criticism has crept into our culture as a default pattern. Some sociologists suggest that we are living in a culture of criticism. Now, the problem with criticism is criticism is contagious. If I get criticized, what do I want to do? Criticize back. We need to hold back criticism if we're going to be effectively holding space for people. And then this last one, hold back comparison. I love Paul's insights into human behavior when he suggests not to compare. There is a tendency of human beings to compare. Have you noticed? <laughs> now, what we do is we do this thing called social comparison so that we have a standard of ourselves. I do not know if I'm a good runner or not unless I compare my times to somebody else. Let me just add, I am not a good runner. In fact, I've been offered a lift three times on the way home because I do what's more called shuffling. And my husband runs, and sometimes he'll come in in the morning and he'll show me his times. And then I have to engage in this thing called upward comparison. And it results in these things, feelings of inadequacy, helplessness, and great despair. Now, downward social comparison is an interesting thing, and if, you've, if there are any people that aren't runners here and you have an iWatch and you'd like to show me your times from last week, I'd love to engage with you because downward social comparison results in enhancing our self-esteem. This is when we compare to somebody that's worse than us. Now, we all experienced this yesterday if you watched the rugby. Australia and South Africa downward social comparison. We are looking good for the World Cup, and my self-esteem is feeling enhanced. Now, the challenge here that Paul speaks about is not to compare when somebody has a burden. You see, when you are struggling with something, and I don't understand that struggle, it's easy, Paul says, for us to look down on the person because I don't understand the struggle. And this is what happens so often with mental health in the church. People are depressed, they're anxious, they're struggling, suicidal ideation, and we look at them and go, just snap out of it. Just get yourself together. That could never happen to me. But Paul says here, we are to carry each other's burdens. Even if we don't understand them, even if we can't relate to them, because that is what it means to fulfill the law of Christ. You see, burdens are not to be condemned, criticized, or compared. Paul says they are to be carried. Now, one of my favorite stories of me being condemning, 
critical and comparing was after one of my first week of work while I was a counselor. So I'd had a long week. I hadn't developed the emotional muscle of dealing with stuff in the room. And a friend of mine phoned me to discuss her choice of the kitchen handles in her cupboard. And I found myself, we were discussing chrome or brass and what the advantages would be. And I was exhausted. And I found myself with this horrible thought, how much do kitchen handles matter in the big picture? And I was irritated and impatient and couldn't hold space for it. And that night I went to sleep incredibly convicted because Jesus is a gentle, a gentle critic. And he said to me, there's a way that you can deal with this. He said, if you learn to value what the person values, because the person is valuable, you will always be able to hold space for it. And so I learned this thing way back then. Value what someone values because the person has value. And therefore, kitchen handles can be just as important as exit plans for domestic abuse. Because the person that that's important to is a valuable person. Now, my husband is very good at this when it comes to scatter cushions in our home. My husband does not understand the need for scatter cushions at all. He doesn't know why a house should have a single scatter cushion. And he certainly doesn't understand why scatter cushions need to be neatly propped, poked, <laughs> before we go to bed, right? That's what we do. But because he values what I value, because I'm valuable to him, you will see him alongside of me before we go to bed, propping up my cushions. So every woman, would you please give your partner a good nudge right now if you want him to notice this. The next one is that holding space requires humility. Now the dictionary definition of humility is freedom from the pride of arrogance. And when I was talking to my friend on the phone and she was talking about kitchen handles, I was feeling arrogant about my work. My work was so important compared to kitchen handles. But biblical humility, David Guzik says, is when biblical humility tells us, I am no more important than you are, so let me care about your burdens and needs. It's a great definition. And if you haven't got it yet, have a look at Philippians. Philippians chapter two says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking towards your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, even kitchen handles. The last tool on holding space is holding space requires knowing where you end and where others start. We are facing a compassion fatigue epidemic. People are experiencing burnout because there is so much need. And unless we understand this concept, where I start and where others end, we are going to be burnt out as people carriers 
in the marathon of life. So have a look at what Paul writes here. He explains that we should carry each other's burdens, but that we should carry our own load. So I'm glad you've asked. You want to know what the original Greek means in that. So a burden, the word for burden means a boulder. Now, a boulder is something that is massive, something that ca someone cannot carry on their own. A while back, we, I decided to get involved in some gardening, and I fell in love with um, what is called garden pebbles that were advertised on the internet. Went to have a look at these pebbles and found that they are not pebbles at all, but by this time, I was too far invested. I'd fallen in love with them completely, and I needed to have a pebble. But the problem with the pebbles is they were actually boulders. They are concrete <laughs> boulders that are shiny polished. They're absolutely beautiful. And I decided to buy three before I looked at them on the internet. So now I'm completely committed. We go and we look at these things, and they, they're about this wide and this high of solid concrete. So I arrive at the place, and I think, okay, well, Clearly, this is not my problem, right? This is going to be somebody else's burden that they're going to have to carry for me. So I make a deal with the guys that we bought this from, and they decide that they're going to bring some men to carry my pebbles into the garden. And of course, I wanted my pebbles placed at the very bottom of a long wooden staircase that is about this narrow <laughs> with stairs all the way down. And it took about five or six incredibly strong men and they carried those pebbles, boulders, and they placed them just outside my counseling office. And every time I look at those, I'm reminded that people have boulders that I am required to carry. Not with arrogance, not with pride, but because everybody needs somebody in the journey of life to carry their boulders with them. Notice the assumption that lies behind the command of carrying each other's boulders. Carry each other's burdens. The scripture assumes that everyone is going to have boulders. Now, let's go back a little bit and have a look at what the word load is. Because if we're carrying each other's boulders, but we're carrying our own loads, we need to know what the difference is. So the original Greek word for load means an everyday backpack. Make sense? So you've got a boulder that's too heavy for somebody to carry, and then you've got the everyday load that theoretically Paul is saying, we should be carrying our own everyday load. Now, my best story on this is with a friend of mine. When our kids were young, a friend of mine had a surgery on her leg, and she wasn't going to be able to do any lifting for a long time. And so she chatted to me, and of course, I'm a great boulder carrier. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I agreed to do all the lifting for six weeks for her. I lifted happily. I was a happy, happy lifter. And then on the eight-week mark, I got a message from her. Please, would I fetch something for one of her kids for school? And of course, I said yes, because I'd been in the habit of carrying a boulder. And a few days later, I felt this funny feeling of resentment. Now, there are three feelings I'm very aware of. I love relief, I hate regret, and resentment is a feeling that I really don't like myself when I feel it. Resentment has a way of quickly creeping into bitterness, and bitterness needs to be avoided 
at all costs. And so as I explored my feelings, because I'm quite good at that, feelings are meant to be felt and to explore and not criticize, I started processing it with the Lord, and I realized that her boulder had become a backpack that I was still carrying and felt resentful because instinctively I knew that this was an everyday load. But here's the problem, it wasn't her fault that I was still carrying it. You see, I had said yes to something that I really wanted to say no to. And so one of the keys here is to understand what the difference is between a boulder and a backpack. And there are a few questions that can help us do this. The first one is, I broke my clicker. Can I do this without resentment? It's a great question to ask yourself when you say yes to something. The second one is, is my yes an honest yes? Am I saying yes when everything inside me wants to say no? That's not honest, and that will build resentment quickly. The third one is, am I working harder on their problem than they are? And the last one is, does my responsibility and my authority match? You see, responsibility and authority is like a hand in a glove. If you are taking responsibility for something that you don't have authority in, your relationship is going to get out of whack. Let me explain this in the process of raising children. Children, when they are born, their whole life is a boulder for the parents. They can't fend for themselves, they can't feed themselves, and they certainly can't finance themselves. And so as good parents, we carry everything for them. But then this magical thing happens, and they start growing into adulthood, and their boulders become less, and their backpacks become bigger for them to carry on their own. Some of the teenagers listening. Good parenting hands over the boulders, allows them to become backpacks so that the children who have authority in their lives take responsibility for their lives so that we don't have resentment. Good parenting is a slow, gradual process of handing over our children's responsibility to them and not micromanaging their lives because that's just annoying, my children tell me. <laughs> if your children have a cell phone contract, which you are responsible for paying, and they have complete authority on how much they spend, I guarantee you that's quickly gonna go sour. So we take responsibility where we have authority in order to protect relationships and we don't develop this thing called codependency when we work harder on somebody's life than they are working on their own life. I think we've got enough of that. I want to end with a quote of Susan Johnson. From the cradle to the grave, humans desire, I would change those words, for humans are desperate for someone who will look out for them, 
who will notice them, who will value them, who will soothe their wounds and reassure them in life's difficult places and hold them in the dark. We are called to hold space for people. The Bible says that the greatest commandment is to love God and love people. Holding space for people is this concept of holding up the other, even if we don't understand what they are going through. This morning during worship, I had a strong sense that um, this word this morning was for three different types of people. The first one was for the people that have fallen in sin. And I don't want you to leave here this morning without making right with God. Some of you need to come and confess this morning and make some things right. The second group of people are the people carriers that, have ex that are experiencing compassion fatigue. You've been carrying people's burdens for so long and you are so exhausted. And you have these words that come out of you, I'm done. I am so done. I would like to pray for you this morning to keep you going in this journey because God has called you to a marathon and he does not want you to finish before the finish line comes. And then the third group, there's some of you this morning that feel abandoned by God. You've had burdens and you've felt as if he hasn't carried them with you. And I wanna read a scripture to you. I don't know if I've got it. <clears throat> I don't have the scripture. I don't have it. I'm going to pray for you. There's a scripture in Isaiah that talks about even until we are gray-haired, until the very end of our lives, God is carrying us. And so if you have felt abandoned this morning, I want you to have a picture that Jesus has been with you in every single moment. He has been carrying you every single part. He has been interceding for you, and that thing that worries you and wakes you in the middle of the night, he is holding space for that this morning. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the power that is contained in scripture. And Lord, I thank you that you have the answers in your word for us. Lord, I pray that we would be people carriers, that you would help us to know the difference between the burden and loads, that you would give us the wisdom to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.